Welcome back to the Confessions of a Crappy Christian podcast, a place where you and all of your crap are not just welcome, you're wanted. I'm your host, Blake Guichet, and every week I'm showing up with a new friend to talk about the things we're really great at, the ways Christ fills in the gaps on the things that we're not, and how he has been faithful to make his power perfect in our weaknesses. My hope is that you walk away feeling empowered and not alone in your struggles, and that people sharing their stories pushes you to share yours. All right, let's do this. Hey, y'all. My guest today is Hannah Brencher. Hannah is a writer, a TED speaker, a wife, and an online educator with a heart for building leaders. She's using her platform to share stories of struggle and victory, and I'm so excited to have her on today to talk about her journey from keeping the hard things packed up in the closet to allowing community and vulnerability to win out. It's a really incredible, wisdom-packed interview, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know. I'm so excited. So... You wrote this incredible book titled Come Matter Here, which is your story of always chasing the next big thing until God brought you to this point of being where you are and mattering where you are. And I would love if you could kind of get us started by telling us a little bit of your story behind that and who you are and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I um, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, now going on five years ago. And at the time that I moved, it wasn't really like, oh, I'd been planning to move to Georgia or like it had been something I had been like working towards. It kind of was just like, hey, Atlanta seems like a cool city. I'll pack up my life and I'll move there. It was like a pretty sporadic thing. But leading up to that point, I think that what had happened is a lot of cool doors had been open. God had done a lot of great things. And um, I unknowingly became a little bit like fed off of getting to that next thing, Mm. getting to that next benchmark, getting to that next, whatever it looked like to be successful. And so I, the story really picks up with me moving to Georgia. And to me, I think it was something where it wasn't so much that I was moving because I was looking for a home or looking to settle in a new city. I think those things were definitely like in my heart, but I think I was motivated by the fear that if I don't do the next best thing, then I'm not going to add up or I'm Mm. not going to be impressive anymore or people aren't going to want me anymore. Mm. And so that's really kind of the premise of where the book picks up is being driven by this fear-based thing inside of me that says like, I only matter if I accomplish this or Mm. if I do this. And what happens is that you don't live in the present moment. You don't experience everyday life. You are constantly thinking, if I was just 10 steps ahead, then I would be worthy. And it's a really jacked up mindset, but it's a mindset that a lot of us operate in unknowingly on a daily basis. And so I wrote the book, to explain and to kind of track and go through my journey of how I stopped living that life of getting to the next thing. And I started to learn to live and be where my feet are. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Because as you're talking about it, I'm literally like, oh, uh uh-huh. Yep. I do that. 
Yeah. Maybe not in like this all encompassing, like my life is fed off of it way, but, and it's even like, okay, like I just hit a benchmark for the podcast that I was really excited about. And my propensity is to, okay, cool. Next one. Rather than, this is so great. Look at what God has done. Like, let's celebrate in this moment and matter here. It's like the next one. Yes. And that's what, like, you end up missing the things that are happening right in front of you as you, like, pursue the next thing. Well, and I think, too, like, for me, it was this really unique experience of all of these things that I thought I would work for, for like the next five years, the next 10 years to come out with a book or speak around the country or give a TED talk would have been like a lifetime goal. Right. And all of them happened in the span of six months. Oh my gosh. And all of a sudden I had all of these things that I had always said that I wanted and it still didn't matter to me. Like it still didn't fill me. And I feel like it was God's way of saying and showing me like, Hey, like, I gave you all of this for a reason so that you can go and tell the others that it's not here. The, oh the striving that the safers, because I know a lot of people have a goal of giving a TED talk. Right. And it's like, this is the thing I'm going to run hard after for the next two years, four years, six years, a lifetime, whatever it is. And then it happens and it, and it was great. It was awesome, but it wasn't everything. The mm-hmm. way that sometimes we say, when I get this, then it will mean everything. And Mm -hmm. it's like all of that stuff fades and it eventually disappoints. And so my joy can't be found in that thing. So where am I going to put my joy? Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. Well, and it doesn't even, you know, I think that there are people who listen to my podcast who aren't necessarily goal oriented in a business or speaking realm but I've experienced this in like I'm gonna lose this amount of weight and then I'm gonna be happy I'm gonna get married and then I'm gonna be happy Mm -hmm. I'm gonna buy this house and then I'm gonna be happy and that just like crosses over into I mean everything it touches everything that if you don't matter if it doesn't matter where you are I can promise you from experience getting married isn't gonna fix it totally it's like wherever you go your junk is going to follow you. 100%. And if you're like not <laughs> content with the here and now, oh my God. a house isn't going to fix that. Right. You know? Even, I mean, it's, losing the weight isn't going to fix it. Are you going to feel better? Are you going to be healthier? Yes. But if Christ isn't where your joy is found, if being present isn't important to you, then you're just going to be 50 pounds lighter. Exactly. <laughs> and that's so hard. I mean, I feel like that's something that, like, as I've learned, and come out with this book. I'm like, this isn't a one time learned this lesson. Now I'm up. It's like it's a daily battle to be able to say like, this moment is enough. Mm-hmm. Whether this is a good moment, whether this is a bad moment, whether this is what I thought life would look like or not. Like I have to practice what I preach, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's like a daily coming back to God and yes. acknowledging that even when I don't want that to be the only answer, it. It really is the only answer. It is. I like, I, like I tell people all the time, I'm like, I became a Christian when I was 22, y'all. Like I had options. Like uh-huh. it wasn't like uh, I grew up. This was the thing. And so it's like when I became a Christian, it was just it was simply because I literally couldn't deny that yes. nothing else did it for me. Nothing right. else did it for me. Sometimes I wish, you know, you wish that it was an easier solution that if I make X amount of dollars then this hole inside of me will stop growing. And it's like, 
the reason that I'm a Christian is because nothing else works and that like, I can't deny it. Sometimes I can't explain it, but like God is the only thing. Absolutely. And you're like, cause my story is the same. I actually grew up in a Christian home, but didn't like claim him as my own until I was 21. And it's yeah. like, we're the ones, we're the ones that know firsthand that he's like, Not to say that people who grew up loving Jesus don't, but we've had that experience of exactly like we said, having other options. Mm -hmm. You're like, I chose this on purpose. How do I keep falling into something else is going to fill this hole? I've lived life. I've lived life without Christ filling that spot. And it it doesn't do it. It doesn't doesn't do it. And yeah, we still think naively this will be the thing that does it. Oh my gosh. And like, it can find good things. Oh, totally. And I find it in like little small ways. Like I think, and then like, you know, when you add in like the Enneagram to it, like being Mm. a four on the Enneagram, fours always feel like we're missing pieces, like Mm -hmm. something essential is missing. And so for me, it's always like, it might not even be something big anymore. Like, oh, a house or like, oh, a husband, you know, it's like these little things of like, oh, this is a, 30 day program that's going to promise to like change my whole entire life. And I'm like, yes, I'll buy it. I'll yeah. pay the money for it. And it's like, the outcome is the same if, if you don't incorporate God into it. Absolutely. You know? Well, and I love, we were talking before we started recording about our Enneagram types. You're a four and I'm an eight, which are kind of each other's polar opposites on the Enneagram. But yeah. this, this mattering here, this, the next thing, not being the best thing, this, like nothing else is going to fill this hole. It touches every single number on the Enneagram. Yes. Because as an eight, I think I can hustle myself into that hole being filled. I think that I can, you know, go as, go as hard as I need to go and get what I need to get to make myself feel whole. Just like you feel like this 30 day program will help you feel more understood you know the same way as like a nine is going to think that they can fix it they can bring peace to the table and that will make them feel complete and the answer every single time is jesus yeah it's totally true i love it i mean i we made it a whole (laughs) 10 minutes without talking about the enneagram so that's impressive for me and my interviewing skills (laughs) at least this time you brought it up I did. I did. I know. I love it. If you don't know, now you know. Yes. And the is having a moment, right? It is having a huge moment, and I'm here for it. it. It's so good. I love it. So, one of my favorite things that I've seen you consistently share about, and that's kind of the like title of your your interview and everything, is just that nothing good comes from keeping our junk in the dark. So, Mm. you're struggling to feel like this moment matters. And you kind of touched on, like, even if it's a bad season, it that moment still matters. And yeah. whether it struggles with depression or anxiety or self-loathing or anything else that we think makes us unworthy, we think that disqualifies us in that moment, and, like, that all God wants to do is shatter those lies apart. Mm. Um, and I've seen you share that over and over, and it's so challenging, and it's so good. Um, and we can know that that's what he wants to do yeah and still not step into it and still not like allow that into our life and I know in come matter here you share that kind of like 
lie-shattering moment that you had where you stepped into the light. And so I wanted to kind of give you the opportunity to share about, like, what was the situation that pushed you into the light, that pushed you into, like, being honest and vulnerable and saying, like, I'm going to matter here. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's interesting because, like, we live in, like, this, like, um, we live in this space now with, like, social media where, we talk a lot about vulnerability and being real and bringing things out into the light. And I think it's like this, but I, I have to question though, like, Hey, like, I don't think that you can fully come into the light and share all of your things and get honest and real with God on a social media platform. Mm -hmm. Like it just doesn't work. And I think that the big basis for like come matter here and um, being honest about my depression in that book was that it was like, this is the first time in my life where it was so messy that I couldn't hide it from people. Mm. I couldn't put it in the coat closet and pretend like it didn't exist. And and for a lot of people, that works for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And um, I really believe that, you know, I went through this so that I could, so that I could vocalize it for other people so that I could be a light in a really dark space because it got, I mean, it got ugly. Like it was not um, anything I could fix on my own. And Mm -hmm. it was not anything that like me in a dark room praying could fix. It Mm -hmm. required God. It required people. It required medicine. It required a all team, all hands in effort. And in order to have had that, I couldn't keep it in the dark anymore. Like I wouldn't, I honestly would not be sitting here alive today if I kept it in the dark because mm-hmm. that's, I think, the consequence of when we're not honest, when we're not vocal, when we don't tell people like, hey, I'm struggling, I'm feeling this, I don't want to be here anymore. When we don't share that stuff, that's when suicide happens. Mm-hmm. That's when we lose people. And so it's one of those things where it's like, I, I really like, I think about it all the time that if I didn't choose to bring the stuff out into the light and be real with people and let people run alongside me and take care of me, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today. I really wouldn't like, Mm -hmm. I just, um, it's crazy to think, but it's like, it's an incredibly dark and bottomless feeling to go through something like this by yourself. Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't wish it on anyone in the world. And I was frustrated throughout the journey sometimes that like, darn, I still need people. Darn, I still need people. Darn, I still need people. And even in like today, like the, the depression that I face is not nearly as extreme as it was, but like, I'm still surprised to wake up every day and be like, I need people. And in order for me to have the right attitude moving forward into this, or in order for me to not feel shame because this happened, I need people, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, um, it's an everyday all encompassing learning to say, Oh wait, like there is stuff that I'm hiding. And it's Mm. like, I don't know if you've um, watched Tidying Up on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet. It's I've heard about it. I haven't watched it yet. Everyone everywhere is watching it right now, which (laughs) I'm kind of like, you know what? Like there are worse things that we could be binging on than like everyone learning how to fold their clothes. I think (laughs) it's a pretty positive movement. Agreed. But um, it's very much like, the way that they sort through the clothes um, is that they tell you to take all of your clothes and put them in one space, like pile them up on the bed or in the middle of the floor or whatever it is. And then you start to pick piece by piece by piece and you go through this whole process. But all that to say, like, I think sometimes we're like, 
mm, I'm comfortable with this draw or I'm comfortable with the closet, mm-hmm. but like how often do we pull it all in and mm-hmm. put it in one big pile? And like, that's necessary mm-hmm. because you can go your whole entire life for 10, 20, 30 years with a closet full of crap that you never deal with. And that stuff is either going to come back to bite you or you're going to cave in on yourself. Or like, honestly, I think the biggest tragedy is that like you live half alive knowing that there is this whole closet that needs to be cleaned out. And yet you are scared to death of what will people think of me if they knew? And like, what will God think of me? Even Mm -hmm. though God already knows if I'm not bringing it to him, it almost feels like it doesn't exist. Yes. Like you're kissing the freedom. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm like, okay, well, I don't even know what to say after that. That was such a <laughs> mic drop. So good. But I think you touched on this. You touched on social media earlier. And I think that so- social media is such a, like, it's such a double-edged sword. I mean, I feel like we all know that. But I was actually having a conversation with some friends the other day about, like, curated mess, like, curated vulnerability. And how that is, like, damaging relationships just as much as, like, not being vulnerable with your people um, because we think that we're being vulnerable. I, for sure, am guilty of that. I am guilty of curated vulnerability or curated mess being like, here's my junk. Here's what I struggle with, like, on social media and then Mm -hmm. maybe, like, not doing it in real life or doing it with the stuff that I'm comfortable being vulnerable about but then the real stuff that you're talking about is in the closet that's like causing us to live half a life we're leaving it there we're leaving it in the closet and it's killing us yeah well and I think too like it's this weird thing between like people on social media like they like want your mess but not really Mm -hmm. like and then I think what happens in people's brains I would love to read more about this is that like when you post something that's super vulnerable, but it's just the right amount of vulnerability, those are always the posts that people comment on that they're like, you go girl, yes, this is amazing, blah, blah. There has got to be some kind of dopamine release that happens. Mm. There has got to be something that happens in your brain that says, wow, by sharing what was honestly going on, I got affirmation from it. Mm -hmm. And then we become wired to share when things are hard and wired to share when things are not going our way or where we don't know where God is going to show up. And while I think that there are some beautiful times when that is necessary, and I mean, like, I write books, I write blogs, I think that we we need to get back into a space where when something's hard, where you feel like God's not showing up, where you're really discouraged you can find the people Mm -hmm. that are going to sit on the couch with you and are going to receive that without applauding you. And they're actually going to pray for you and walk through it with you. And I think that it's like, that's what we're, that's the disconnect we're facing right now is that people are distorting vulnerability and, um, and honesty. Like I think that like people are assuming that the two are the same and they're not at all. Like I always feel like, the way that I describe it is that like honesty is like, like showing up at the door, like somebody knocks on the door and you open the door and you say, Hey, blah, blah, blah. Hey, I'm dropping off a meal for you. Great. Thank you so much. And like, they get a tiny, tiny glimpse. That's honesty. Vulnerability is like, no, come inside Mm -hmm. and see the mess. 
And you can't do that with the internet. Right. You can't do that with your followers on social media because come 3 a.m., they're not showing up for you. They're not answering your calls. Yes. And so, like, I think it's like, I don't know. I, I love and I also have quarrels with social media. Oh, like, absolutely. I, I think that that's the only way to have a healthy balance with social media is when you're like, I love it. I see what it's capable of, but also, ugh. <laughs> also, <Yes>, God. Exactly. <laughs> and we need to learn to like foster it better, steward it better, you know? You were talking about like the scientific, I mean, like my husband and I read a study not that long ago about that the applause and the affirmation and the likes and the comments and the responses that come on Instagram is more addictive than like crack. Yeah, no, I believe it. Like I believe it, it wires our brain more addictively and more um, pleasingly than like legit hard drugs. I remember a few years ago, like when the status just showed up and then all of a sudden you could say more than like 140 characters. And what I think happened is like, you remember when people would post things and they'd be like, I don't normally rant, but I need to have a rant mm-hmm. right now. And then that became the person that ranted all, all, the, all time. the time. You were like, oh my gosh, stop starting the status with, I don't normally do this because you do it every week. But I think <laughs> I think there's a dopamine release. I think mm-hmm. there is this affirmation that goes off in their head of like, wow, people commented on that and people approved of that and people debated with me on that. And like, it's an addicting feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, our curated mess, our curated vulnerability is giving us that. And then we're missing real life, sitting on the couch, wrestling yeah. through it. We're missing that in our lives. And yeah. we're drowning because of it. Because exactly like you said, like three o'clock, that panic attack comes around or three o'clock, that depression sinks in. Like your Instagram mm-hmm. followers aren't going to show up. No. Like yeah. the people that you're pouring into and allowing to pour into your life that you're letting them, you know, you're pulling your junk out of the dark into the light. Like those are the people who can, who can, I mean, really like your Instagram followers can't, they can't throw, show up can't. at 3 a.m. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that's like, that is so huge that, you know, you may be thinking you're showing up in a vulnerable space, but are you really like, are you, yeah. Because the the response can only be so much when you keep it surface level like that, when you keep it curated and looking pretty and packaged the way that you want it to come across. It's still produced. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, And as somebody who walked, I've walked through years of depression and anxiety in secret. Like I have done that. I've done the Mm. panic attacks in waves and not telling anybody. And I've done the like struggling with hating myself and hating my body and not telling anybody. And it's freaking miserable. Yeah. It's awful. Mm -hmm. Anxiety and depression and self-loathing and suicidal ideation. All of those things are miserable, but they're on steroids when you do them alone. Yeah. And I know like the enemy loved that. Like he Mm -hmm. loved that I was suffering in secret because he knew and continues to know that there are people in my life who are going to step into that space. I yep. am not alone. I am. I have great friends. I have great family that are going to be my champions, are going to be my cheerleaders, are going to speak truth. But he yeah. knew that if he kept me ball- mm-hmm. curled up in a ball in the corner, not telling anybody that that victory is further off. So true. So true. And so I think, so for the women who are listening, who may be struggling in the dark, 
yeah, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be mental health related. It doesn't have to be like your marriage could be drowning. You could be like feeling completely ill-equipped to parent your children, like whatever it is, like what is your biggest piece of advice for like stepping out of the dark and inviting people in? Yeah. I mean, it's, I will say it's not, it's not by any means easy and it it probably never gets easier, you know, but I, I would encourage people and tell people it doesn't have to be the whole entire world. Like you don't need to tell everyone You could tell one trusted friend you Mm -hmm. could tell the person that's closest to you if that's your spouse you know like um and I would say to make it like an intentional conversation not like not a text conversation like I would say face-to-face if it can be face-to-face if if the person's a long distance friend that you trust then make it a phone call Mm -hmm. but like really create a space for you to be honest and say like hey this is a problem or like, Hey, I'm really struggling. Hey, I haven't been honest about this. And if the person loves you and, and is, is a good person for you, like they're not going to think less of you. They're not Mm. going to tell you like, Oh, well, you just need to do this, this, and this, you know? And I think that's incredibly hard when it comes to like depression and anxiety, because I think everybody feels like they could just fix it for somebody else. And it doesn't work that way. Nope. Um, But yeah, just framing it as like, you know, like, I don't, I don't need all the answers. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, we don't need to come up with a solution. I just can't keep this inside of me anymore. You know, like, it can't be here anymore. And um, I, there's something freeing about that, getting that off of your chest and getting to be real about that. You know, I was at um, a conference just the other day and a preacher was speaking on the story in the Bible where Jesus, um, Jesus meets a woman by the well and she's a Samaritan woman. And um, it's like very like taboo that he's talking to her. And it just was, he blew my mind with the story and the way that he framed it, that I had never seen it before of like, when, when Jesus is all being like super, like kind of like out there being like, I offer water that like will never make you thirsty again. And it's like, what are you talking about? You know, like the girl is like, give me the water. Right. Yeah, like, I'm here for it. Give me the water. And then Jesus is like so sassy that he snaps back and is like, yeah, great. Like go get your husband. And then she's just Mm. like, oh, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, I know. Like you had five. Mm. And like, Mm. it's this weird altercation where you almost want to be like, Jesus, like, don't do that. Why are you doing this? This is uncomfortable, you know, like just give her the living water. Like let's call it a win. Um, (laughs) But the, the pastor explained it so beautifully that like what Jesus was really doing was saying like, Hey, I'm allowing you to come and drink of this water and I'm allowing you to do it free of shame. Mm. And that's, there's something beautiful in like being found out in like all of a sudden somebody knows like the 10% that you're hiding or the Mm -hmm. 20% that you're holding out on. And like, it was really meant to be so that this woman would just feel free because mm-hmm. you knew that she was carrying around this burden that she'd had five husbands and then this guy that wasn't even her husband that was basically acting like her husband how heavy was that burden probably mm-hmm. and Jesus took it off of her and so I think that that's one of the things where it's like we see people that like claim to love Jesus and yet their lives don't look any differently than anybody else's lives mm. because they're still bound up by shame and fear and worry and doubt and I think it goes back to what we were just saying. It's like, 
if you don't bring it into the light, if you struggle alone, you will never experience the full freedom mm. that God has for you. Mm-hmm. Like he has that freedom for you. And what he says in his word, like my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's not some like fun, like lofty, right. It's not a lofty idea. It's actually very literal, mm-hmm. but like it is a daily offloading of oh your job saying, I picked this thing up again and I have to give it back again. I picked this thing up again and I have to give it back again. And it's okay if you do that 77 times, 100 times. He's not phased by it. Right. He just doesn't want you to have to carry it. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think that also on the other side of that, we have to be willing to step into that space with people. We have to be willing to be the one that people are offloading that stuff onto. And what I've experienced is like, sometimes you have to be the one that's like, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like you have to be the one that asks the hard questions because sometimes like that other person is drowning so desperately that they really almost can't. Like they really almost cannot even come to you and be like, this is where I'm at. And that's not to say mm-hmm. that that's a like free pass. Like I think, God can enable us. I know, like, in the throes of me having panic attacks, like, literally waves upon waves every single day, all I was able to get out was, like, God, you have got to give me the strength to do something Mm -hmm. about this. And I was able to, like, shoot off a text message and be like, hey, I'm super not okay. Can we talk? But Mm -hmm. I've also experienced people stepping into it with me and being like, hey, what, like, you don't seem okay what's going on and that's hard that's challenging because you run the risk of the other person being super offended or like no I'm fine and then it's like awkward and weird but I think we have to be willing to risk the awkward and the weird Mm. well and I think we also have to allow ourselves to be fully known Mm -hmm. that like if we are always like, if we're just doing like, and I'm totally guilty of this, like I don't do it as much anymore, but I used to do it. When I first moved to Atlanta, I had a speaking engagement in Atlanta. It was like my third day there. And I stood up in front of the whole entire crowd. And I just was like, I don't have any friends. Like I really don't like, I've got like one um, and I need friends. And so I would love to go on a coffee date with you. And so if you email me, I will go on a coffee date with you. And I, went on a lot of coffee dates for like that whole entire month, like so many of them. And what happens in a first coffee date where you don't know somebody is like, you're sharing your most impressive stories. Like, it's like, you're, you're not really getting deep with the person, even though you think it's deep, it Mm -hmm. seems like it's deep, but it's really a five foot pool, you just got to put your feet down. Um, And I think that like, I remember a friend of mine and I wrote about it in Come Matter Here. He said to me after that first month, like he just was like, okay, like you've gone out on a lot of coffee dates, like, but like you're going to have to figure out who are the people that you want to see again. Mm-hmm. And so that is the hard part is seeing people again and again and again, where life is monotonous, where it's ordinary, where it's not like you have anything to bring to the table and impress somebody with. And like, that's a space that I'm like thankful to say, like I, I, I'm in the groove of it now. Mm-hmm. Like the people that I keep in my company really are the people that like I choose to see throughout everyday boring life, yes. you know, because if I'm only making time to see people where I can network or I can, you can get something from this relationship and I can get something from this relationship. Like 
you're never going to be fully known. It, mm -mm. it doesn't work that way. It's like the people that see you on a daily basis are going to the people be the people that know you enough to say you're, you're not off. okay. Something, yeah. Yeah. You're not okay. Yes. Yeah. It really is twofold. Exactly. Like you're saying, okay. Like if you want to be able to have that relationship that you can sit down and s unpack this like stacked closet of things you're keeping in the dark, then you have to be on board for the everyday. You have to be on board for the mundane. You have to be on board for the, like, we're not here to get something out of this relationship. We're just here for each other. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And it's, yeah. I mean, I'm thankful I've like unprogrammed myself from that, but it's mm -hmm. always there. It's always something I could easily run back to. And I'm like, nope, like stay with the people that know you. Yes. And, and I think too, it's like, you also have to make a concerted effort to not just be the person that's always always struggling to find the lifeboat mm. like you can help other people too yes. and like that's part of like why I like I mean I try so hard to be very like I, I have to work harder than a lot of people um to stay healthy every single day mm. that if I'm not careful like my depression can run rampant and mm. one part of depression is that you are very self-focused it mm. is a thing I'm not saying that people that are depressed are self-centered no, but it's yeah these wants you to be self-centered it wants you to think me 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 mm -hmm. so if I I have to do these extra things whether that's working out going for walks eating healthy I have to do that so that I can play a part in taking care of my people so mm -hmm. that I'm not always the one that's like oh Hannah's depressed so she kind of needs like extra care it's like no like I want my emotions to be stable so that I can come to the table and I can help you when you're down you yes. know yes oh my gosh that's that, huge yeah it's I that's what I desire to be I desire to be somebody who is able to take care of others well. And right. I think that that's something that the stigma of depression wants to keep from you. Wants yes. you to believe you'll always need to be taken care of. Yes. And that's just a bunch of bull. Mm -hmm. Like it's just a bunch of bull, but it does require that you fight really hard for your everyday life. And that fight is never over. Mm. Yes. Wow. That's so good. I mean, at being someone who has walked through depression and then who has like friends who are walking and walking through depression I think it can feel it feels like healthy is is unreachable it, it, I'm always yeah. going to be this way I'm always going to be the one that needs the lifeboat I'm always going to be the one that people are going to pour into and like I'll do what I can like I'll do what I can as far as friendship and as far as stepping into my part of it but but the, the depression lies to you and tells you it's always going to be this way. And there really are like super tangible, like obviously Jesus wants to like walk in that with you and and be a part of breaking those lies apart. But also like eating healthy and taking medicine and getting enough sleep and working out yeah. like those things really are so necessary to like make you capable of being a friend to somebody else. Well, and I think it's like a big thing that I've had to key into is like language. Um, and so like, I'm really careful to not say like, I'm suffering from depression. I used to say it all the time. Like oh, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. And it's like, hold on. Like I'm not suffering. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and there have been times where it has been real suffering, but like, I have to be careful not to give the depression mm -hmm. that much credit. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not, 
struggling with depression. Like depression isn't like holding its hand over my mouth and like kidnapping me. Like I've had to change my language. So now I say like, I deal with depression. Mm. I handle depression because depression's not my identity. At the end of the day, depression has not become me. Mm-hmm. But I think that we're if we're not careful about our words, almost give depression like more credit than it deserves. 100%. Like, and so when I say I handle depression, that means every day I'm showing up and I'm handling this thing. Right. I'm in charge. The depression like Olivia is Pope not style. I'm in I, it yeah. is handled. <laughs> yeah, it is handled. Yeah. And yeah, there are I, I want anyone like listening to know this. There are going to be hard days even after the victories come. Like there are days where I mainly just have to chalk it up to that wasn't a very good day. It wasn't a loss because I'm still here, but mm-hmm. like it wasn't the best day and tomorrow we can try again. Yes. You know, and give yourself that grace to have bad days and to not always conquer the world. I mean, I have been like, I, I'm kind of sunk now in the outlining and the writing of book three. And this mm-hmm. is a lot of like the, um, the premise of it is that I think that if we are always, we are always running hard towards this hustler attitude towards this girl boss, I'm going to overcome the world. Like that mentality can actually break you. There oh. has to be, <laughs> there has to be a balance between getting it done. And then also like, grace for when you don't get it all done like there's got to be a middle ground like that allows us to not go crazy at the end of the day yes and that's I mean that's really like the premise of pretty much my entire ministry is being someone who hustled herself into adrenal fatigue and like literally my body shutting down and a doctor looking at me after she's looked at my blood results and being like I don't know how you're standing up right now like literally having like the physical response of nope no more and having to find that balance that you're talking about and finding it in tangent with like some mental health struggles that Mm -hmm. I think that people that struggle with mental health or like whatever like everything that you're saying right now applies to anything that anyone ever feels like they need to keep in the dark be it eating disorders or your marriage or parenting, like all of those things can turn into this. I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to hustle it down into the ground and I'm going to beat it. And this is something that I struggle with, but I'm still, I can still conquer it. Or we can lean more towards grace and we can say, this was a bad day. Tomorrow can be better. Well, because I think too, like you've got like the, yeah, you have the battles and you have the war and war and the experience I've had with it, which is very minimal. It just seems like war goes on for a really long time. It's not just this one string of fighting that never ends. They go back, they recoup, Mm -hmm. they show up again. They go back, they recoup, they show up again. And it's like, it is the same thing for your everyday life is that like, man, if you lose one battle, like there's another one coming up. You Mm -hmm. just have to stay in the fight though. That's the thing is when people stop fighting, there's not enough hope in the world to lift you up when you are not willing to fight for yourself anymore. Absolutely. I'm consistently challenged by this mindset of like meeting people like every year that a new year rolls around and you like set all your resolutions and you look at your resolutions and your resolutions have nothing to do with anybody but yourself. You know, it's like, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, you know? And it's like, 
we start off the year for some reason thinking we can do it without the without rest of the anybody world. Without else. Us against the world. And then we're like crumbled in a mess. And it's like, I was really intentional this year to set goals that, that included other people. Like one of our biggest goals is just to host people. We just mm. bought a house. We just moved in. And it's like, I don't care if the rooms aren't all set or like nothing's perfect. I just want to remember that we hosted people, yes. you know? And it's like, that's a goal that like it involves other people. Yes. I need more of those because I will literally just, it will be me against the world forever. A hundred percent. I mean, that's the culture we live in. That's yes. the anthem blowing in our ears. Yes, it is. It, the anthem blowing in your ears is either you can do it on your own. You don't need anybody else. Like if people don't believe in you, then like screw them and yep. do your own thing. It's so self-focused. I'm totally with you on like, this is the first year I've been setting goals for years, like at the beginning of the year. And this is the first, <laughs> this is the first year that like one of my goals is like to speak my husband's love language better. Mm, I love that. You I know, love that. like, Yes, there are other ones that are like bettering myself and are business based and those are fine, but if they're literally if you look at your list of goals for the year and they're all about yourself, exactly what you said, like you're going to make it to February and be like this is completely unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you're you going to be lonely. It. Like yes. it's just going to be lonely. Because you've got your because... head down plowing through getting your stuff done for you. Exactly. And it's, it's even the people that like are consistently reaching out to you on a daily basis. Like you just have to remember like the phone works both ways. You should be reaching out to other people. And like everyone is so in their own world doing their own thing. And we have like a million more distractions than we normally have that if you like silo yourself away to like work on your goals, like it, you could go weeks without anybody realizing that you're gone. Yes. And as somebody who struggles with depression, it's like, that's a big no, no. Your depression is going to tell you this is great. You're off on your own. Like you just like, just stay by yourself. And it's like, you have to do everything against what the depression is telling you to do. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's not healthy for me. If I am off on my own conquering the world, I will be like in a pile by February. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I or completely agree. Or, and like st sticking to the depression storyline, you silo yourself off, you start trying to conquer the world. And then like, because you're kind of being a jerk and being super self-focused, like people aren't doing life with you. And then you're like, oh, nobody loves me. Oh, I'm completely on my own. And depression has like even more ammunition to fire lies at you. Yeah. And I think that it's that's like, so true. like, that's where like Satan wants us isolated. Whether you struggle with depression or you have never even dipped your toe in experiencing it he wants you isolated and I think that's kind of <clears throat> the premise of everything we've said today is just that like he wins there he wins when you keep it in the dark and he loses mm. when you send that text message that's like hey my husband and I are super struggling right now and I'm drowning in it yep boom yep like defeated and that's all you have to do it's not that doesn't mean you need the answer today no that doesn't mean that you have to be like resolved you just need to not carry it all on your own exactly exactly and I think that we could keep talking for like four more hours but I feel like that's a really good like way to we wrap could, it I up mean, <laughs> we could just keep writing I, your book it's fine um, there we go like I think you know acknowledging 
how much power Christ has in the light and that he has power in the dark. He Like there is, I don't mean it to sound like there is a space that Satan has more power, mm. but when you pull it in the light and you let somebody in, he wins every single time and his victory yeah. lives there. Um, so we're going to do the rapid fire questions that I always close out my interviews with. Um, we already answered the first one, but we're going to do it again. What's your Enneagram type? My Enneagram type is a four. Yes. Do you love being a four or do you, are were you like, I want to be something else when you first found out? Um, I think that, well, so I think that it's like classic four to take the test a million times in the mm. hopes that like you will be something else. Um, I, I do like being a four. Like I, there are definitely days where I wish that I was a one, but I am mm. a one if I'm like in my healthiest space, I'm a one. Yeah. Um, but I think that like, especially like for the career and being a writer, being a four is like what I know I need to be, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. I mean, like a hundred percent, the most creative people I know are all fours. Yep. It's yes. It's yeah. such a thing. Yeah. I love it. I love it so much. Um, what is something that can always pull you out of a funk? Um, you know, anything it's embarrassing to admit, but like anything like bachelor related, I love, I am a devoted member of bachelor nation. And I mean, like, I, I just love to listen to the podcasts and I love to like, look at the bachelor news and like this and that, you know, like I just, it's so silly, but it's like saying to my friend yesterday, I was just like, you know, like every Monday night, like me and my girlfriends get together and we watch this show and it's something really lighthearted in a world that can sometimes mm. just feel really heavy, yes, you know? Absolutely. I, I do you listen to the popcast like recap? Pop, no. The popcast does a recap of ba- the bachelor and it's the only it's to be honest, it's the only experience I have with the bachelor. I've never watched it, but having never watched it, it's still so good. So you should check okay, it out. I'll have to check that out it's for sure. So good. Um, and then the last one is what is the last thing you watched on TV? The last thing. Oh, well, yesterday, um, yesterday we watched Bird Box. <gasps> Did you like it? It was so scary. It that was, was terrifying. The I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Like that. I was like, we need to like, I don't, I don't even know. Like uh-huh. I just, it was weird. Yeah. It was beyond a level of creepy for some reason it just like freaked me out so we just watched it last night and now I'm like all day like what still reeling and like again like I'm gonna make it about the Enneagram like she is 100% an eight like Sandra Bullock's character is like an eight oh okay that makes sense and so the whole time I was like frick yes get it like go like it was like empowering for me and I just was like girl what the heck give your children names right right and you know she was yelling at those kids I was like the poor things I know well and that part obviously is like less than ideal but I can see myself in those things like I can see myself in like girl and boy and yeah it was so good well, Hannah, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come on and talk to me. Can you tell everybody where to like find you, follow you, keep up with you, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So everything is just Hannah Brencher. Um, HannahBrencher.com. Social media handles are Hannah Brencher. So okay. that's where I write. That's where I hang out. That's where I hopefully deliver hope and encouragement to people. Yes, you definitely do. And we'll link all of that in your show notes, which people can find at confessionsofacrappychristian.com. 
so much for tuning in to another episode of the Confessions of a Crappy Christian podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and you can find the show notes and more information about the show at confessionsofacrappychristian.com. I'll see y'all next week. This morning, Jen woke up, made three breakfasts, did two loads of laundry, and one conference call. But she also saved $25 because Jen uses a new innovation from Huntington called Money Scout. It analyzes Jen's checking account to find money that's not being used and moves it to her savings automatically. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply to text alerts. Money Scout is subject to eligibility, terms and conditions, and other account agreements. Member FDIC. Start a rewarding new career right away. Giant Eagle has immediate openings for supermarket positions, including curbside roles, get-go positions, pharmacy technicians, and warehouse workers. To find your new job and get hired in as little as one day, visit jobs.gianteagle.com.